This is Chief Conti of the Metropolitan Police Department, and I need your help to curb impaired driving. This highly preventable behavior is the cause of almost half of DC's traffic fatalities. Let's commit to never drive under the influence and always have a plan for a sober ride. DC police are enforcing impaired driving laws, so don't risk an unnecessary DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and the Metropolitan Police Department. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate it more than you can possibly imagine. The one thing that I ask from you is that you, if you've received any sort of value or learned anything from this episode, please share it with at least one friend. Follow the number 5AM Hustle Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is 5AM Hustle. If you have any questions or feedback, DM me or email me at 5AM Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. As always, go in the day. Welcome to Humans of Ohio, where we interview creative Ohioans in music, business, the arts, and sciences. Here, our goal is to highlight these individuals and build a community around unique experiences all over Ohio. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, hustlers, to the Five and Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Jack Constantine, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with serial entrepreneur and Ohio State alumni, Tim Keenan. Tim has started multiple businesses, including High Performance Technologies Incorporated. Now, first off, Tim, um, I'm going to let you set the stage because you know yourself uh, more than anyone. Uh, and so please explain kind of who you are and um, uh, what are the companies that you've built? Well, I'm just a guy that likes to build companies. I, uh, as most entrepreneurs, uh, building them is more interesting than running them. But I do like uh, the idea of how do you solve that puzzle between resources, idea, markets. You know, how do you balance those things? Uh, I happen to be able to see them in my head, and uh, then executing on the idea is, is the fun part, and when you actually bring that to the market. So that's what I like to do. Awesome. And the first thing I want to do is I want to get you in the mindset of when you were a kid, and you have this, you have this entrepreneurial mindset. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, um, and you were very successful in athletics, and also um, you were in the military, so... Did you always have that ambitious and entrepreneurial mindset as a kid, or was it something that developed over time? I can remember back to, say, when I was 10, and you were in school, and they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I wanted to build my own business. So it's an answer that I had regularly. And back then, when you said that, people thought, oh, you're going to join this big business or that big business. And that's not what I had in mind. I had a mind of running my own. And... At the point, you know, you don't have an idea of what that looks like. You just know that you want to uh, make the decisions to make it work. So that's what I like. For sure. And um, uh, back in the day, talking to many people, like when you said you want to be an entrepreneur, they're like, oh, so you want to be want to be unemployed and struggle for the rest of your life. But Well, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, when you're 10, that word is too hard to spell, all right? So you just say business. But uh, everybody says, no, don't do it. Too risky you know, how are you going to provide for your family? And you say, okay, I'm 10, I don't have family, you know, <laughs> you know, but they all go there. So you're used to as an entrepreneur, you know, you don't even know you're an entrepreneur later, you know, at that time, you're just, why is everybody saying I can't do this? Which actually in most entrepreneurs triggers a, a different response. It's like, oh yeah, I'll show you. It's, it's a competitive response that comes out of almost every entrepreneur I know when they're told they can't do something. So I, I had that reaction, and then, and then you know, the, you know, the 
lemonade stands and the paper routes and all that. That just didn't get it done, you know, so for me anyway. So then I started looking at how do you move through your high school years and, and aim. Well, and I was looking for a school that was big enough to provide the resources. And Ohio State was obviously a choice. Um, I must admit, there wasn't much infrastructure here, but I did find mentors. I didn't find much entrepreneurial infrastructure we have today with the Keenan Centers and, and Cheryl and Scott Griffin and their team. But, but I did find people. Uh, I had a professor here named Harry Blythe, finance professor, actually the inventor of the ATM machine. He was a computer science and finance guy. And he hired us to go watch people interact with, with ATM machines. Very first ones were in High Street, downtown High Street in Columbus, like, like at Long Street around there. And uh, we sat across the street and watched people punch buttons and money would come out. And they, invariably, they would look around furtively like, oh, like they stole something. It's like, you feel like screaming at them, that's your money, dummy. But that was their first interaction with a computer dispensing money. And, you know, he, he, uh, he talked in his class about what deal he should cut because he sold the rights. And, uh, and the conversation was always about, uh, should I do unit or should I sell outright for big dollars? And it was whether you believe in the idea or not. You know, if you don't believe in the idea, get the big dollars. You know, if you do. And he sold it for like a tenth of a penny per transaction for 50 years. You know how much money that is today? So, yeah, he, he did the right thing. But he also, we got to, in our classes, got to have that conversation. And, you know, just we also respected him greatly. But that was an awesome experience for me at Ohio State. Of course. And you mentioned mentors and whether it be athletics in the military, um, you need to find those people to raise you to the next mm -hmm. level. So how did you go about that um, throughout your career, whether it was you starting a business or when you were um, an established entrepreneur? How did you find those mentors to get you to the next well, level? Well, you have to, I think you have to be very inquisitive if you're an entrepreneur because, you, you know, the stuff you don't know is far exceeds what stuff you do know. So you got to ask a lot of questions. And if you're the kind of person who keeps asking questions, you'll find people, you can just look them in the eye and they glaze over, right? You say, that's not one. You'll find people that say, well, why did you ask me that question? Why didn't you go this direction? You're thinking, oh, this is a mentor because they're going to make me think. And you, you start, you know, just showing up every now and again so you're not bothering them too much. But then there's a point where you ask them to be a formal mentor. And that's a much bigger commitment of time. And you have to respect that someone that says yes actually believes in you. And you got to listen to what they have to say, even if you don't agree. But... I probably only listened to 25% of what my mentors told me because some of them would say, don't go that direction. But I believed in the direction, right? So, but, you know, that's why one mentor won't get it done. You got to have mentors in all aspects of your life. You know, how do I grow my communication skills? How do I grow my networking skills? How do I grow my technical skills? You know, they're all different. And you, you can find, you know, people that will do this. I find Ohio State alumni are very readily, you know, the Alumni Association has a mentoring network. And they can find you somebody in an industry you're interested in to talk to you. But whether whether that becomes a mentor-protege relationship is a function of you. You know, are you dedicated to it? Are you, are you doing what they ask you to do in, in the off times? But I, I find mentors is, is more of a, a personal connection. And if it isn't there, it, it's not going to work for either one of you. And you might want to stop. 
you get more negative feedback than you would positive. Yeah, and I think uh, oftentimes people think a mentor means you, you spend a certain amount of time with them and then you leave them and you go on your merry way. But in reality, it's you build a relationship and you come up here with that type of person. Yeah, that that um, is where it's kind of fun, where you are obviously the student at start. And there's a point in your career, you know, say 20 years down the road, where you are peers and friends because you've gone through so much and they've watched you apply what they're saying, which... Everybody likes to be uh, considered an expert. Um, not everybody is, but everybody likes to be considered. And mentors get some juice for giving back like that. And it's it's not even hard to do if you're passionate about the area you're talking about. It's, it's like, yeah, done. You know? But, you know, I probably have uh, 500 kids asking me to do this. Well, I can't do 500 kids quality. So I, you know, I give them tasks and if they succeed, they're serious, then yeah, I'll go further with that group. But, you know, the ones that just want to say on their resume that I'm their mentor or something, no, I'm not interested in that. So what are those specific qualities or traits you look for in the person that you're like, okay, I'm willing to invest my time in you as an individual in your career? Well, you know, it's inquisitive and open mind. Meaning, uh, if they come and say, I'm right, you're wrong, well, we can't, there's not much room for learning in that. But if you come to me and, and give me just a bunch of questions, quiz, how do I do this, how do I do this, how do I do this, okay, fine. I won't actually tell you how to do it. I will tell you a way to approach it. And I will ask you a bunch of questions. If that doesn't you know, put you off because you wanted like a shortcut, well, there is no shortcut in building a business. Every business is different. But if you'll do some side tasks that I give you, so then I know you are actually serious, oh, yeah, I'll go all in on that because it's fun. I, I like watching kids succeed in their young businesses. And uh, when it comes to networking, at least what I've learned um, in my short time on, on this earth is that it's all about your willingness to ask those questions and even ask the person just for a little bit of the time. You don't have to ask for a whole entire day and right. say, hey, can you respond to my email or can you uh, right. can I can I buy you coffee? And it's that simple ask that gets someone right. uh, to realize that um, not everyone's asking for that. Everyone wants the, like, hey, can you give me XYZ, you just want something small at the beginning instead of such a big well, ask. You know, when when someone asks me for something, just one question and answer, that's actually, there's never a single answer to those sort of things. They're all compound part questions. But that's okay, because that's, say, 15-minute conversation. What you do with the answer will, will dictate whether I want to answer a second question. You know, so it's too, mentor, nobody understands that it's too weak deal you know i'll mention it but you better be serious about it if you're just asking because you feel like someone in class told you to get a mentor well mentors have to match personality wise they have to match in interest areas they have to match for them to be long-term mentors and frankly you know uh, i probably had three guys that stood the test of time and very different skill sets one one was a, a marine lieutenant colonel Mostly leadership and, and team building skills is what I learned from him. You know, I had technical mentors that were more about how the uh, technical architecture and systems building world worked. And I had uh, a mentor that was more about uh, how do you balance uh, the business strategy with the personal development of your teams and, and mixing all the big pieces together. And, and Frank, I probably learned the most from the third one. Um, uh, the leadership is a lifelong thing, and frankly, 
you know, most people don't like it, but there are business books in the infinite range, right? There's, but the ones that get on the um, most read lists and such, okay, I find business books have one point to make and they make it in 10 chapters. If you read that book and get the point in the first or second chapter, close the book and get another book because you've got the one point. And they're good points, they are, but you don't need to read it, reiterate it 10 times in the other 200 pages. Uh, and the more you read, the more you hear an idea. And you're thinking, no, I don't believe in that one. Okay, so it doesn't matter, but you can converse on why you didn't go that direction, having read the book. Uh, my favorite books in this case are uh, Marcus Buckingham, who uh, does leadership writing, in particular Strength Finders. Um, I use that quite readily in my company, and I like Jim Collins and the Good to Great. Uh, I think that's what encapsulates how I think about business. You know, you can build a good business with almost not that much trouble. Building a great business, uh, that's a whole lot much effort. So, I like uh, those. Funny thing is, you're the you're the second. Uh, top executive that I've talked to, the first one being um, the, the vice president of Bojangles that mentioned the book yeah. Good Great, so it purely has a, a lot of good ideas, but I want to transition a little bit into um, your company, HTPI, or HTPI, my bad, um, and talk about, a lot of people see the, the glamour, and oh my gosh, you, you made all this money, we're, we're so successful, but I want to bring you back to the beginning, because what, where was your where was your self-belief, how did you deal with, like, obviously you said a lot of people didn't believe in you, where was... Um, your mentality in that point and how were you able to get over those barriers well, that you talk about? The, the other two guys I started that business with, I had worked with for seven years. So I already had trust in them and they had trust in me. You know, I was the customer facing and team building guy. My partner is a uh, PhD in basically math, applied math. So yeah, he was more of the, uh, very good at strategy thinking. The third guy is actually a PhD in computer science and he was our technical guy. So three of us respected each other's skills. So uh, when you have that and it came through the networking process and we ended up the same company and we were able to, we knew each other before, but you know, then we got to work together in the day-to-day -day sort of things, which is where conflict can come from. Uh, but once we had trust in each other, then you're like, okay, now we're not going forward alone, going forward as a team. And I knew that that team had working inside of a larger firm. We were we were knocking it out of the park. So, and frankly, we weren't getting much help from anybody other than the three of us. So, we were thinking, okay, let's go do this for ourselves. You know, we're tired of making other people rich. And the idea was we didn't like the direction our company was going because they wanted volume, not especially. And we were much more interested in solving problems that couldn't be solved at that point in the research world. And we, we went and talked to those guys and they said, you know, if you could do that, we'd hire you every day. Okay, well, so we started going after problems that were hard to solve. You know, the, the genome question, you know, how do I break the genome code? Well, we had guys that worked for us in the National Security Agency in code breaking. Well, that's just a code, it's just, you know, instantiate inside of DNA versus a computer. But the reality is we can actually break a code using code techniques from one industry and bringing them over into the National Cancer Institute. Well, that kind of thinking was how we, our customers valued us is because we thought about stuff like that. 
and I had two partners that also thought that way. So the three of us were kindred in that approach to, to thinking. Well, that was just, it was like shooting fish in a barrel, you know, from customers. We were getting customers. But I was noticing the business wasn't growing. And it's because uh, we weren't aligned in where we were going, the direction. We were trying to build a business to make us rich, lifestyle businesses, you know, where all your cars are paid for and you get beach houses and all that stuff. A lot of businesses build that way. They call it lifestyle business. I wasn't interested. I wanted to grow a business to scale. So that's where we had to sit, stop, take a breath and realign. And that's what we did. And, then, and it was, you know, it went very well from there on. So speaking to um, any entrepreneur or somebody who wants to almost build their own vision of a company they want to build or even their own lifestyle, how do you go about crafting that vision so that you're all aligned on the exact same thing? Well, uh, vision building doesn't start with the vision. It starts with the core values. So um, you have a, a set of core values that if I asked you to write down five things that are your core values and then I showed it to six of your friends, they would disagree. They would say that's not his core values because they've watched you make decisions based on things. Well, and we're all nice to ourselves and our friends can be good friends, not acquaintances. But a good friend is the last picture. Excuse me. But they will they will say, no, 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 that's not who you are. But and and frankly, every time I, I and I go into businesses as a consultant now and, and develop their core values with them. And and it's pulling them out of them, not because every one of them, when I write them down, say they want honesty or integrity, the word honesty or integrity. And then I said, okay, have you ever told a white lie in business? And they're like, well, you know, you got to sometimes. Okay, then it's not a core value, is it? Because you just told me you break it. If you break it, then it's not core. So you, you want to get those core values down because core values are what people join. Like when you try to get someone to join your company, they're going to join the core values. The vision comes after that in 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 telling them their role in achieving the vision, but the core values are what they join. So you got to build those first. The core purpose of your company is a matter of getting everybody aligned to, to what we are here to do. You know, our reason to be put on the earth is to build this. Your vision needs to be written. After all of that, you get to vision, and the vision is is got to be written in a way that people have an emotional response to it, like either they're gut or their heart palpitates you know and if if it doesn't do and that's not to the external people this is your internal people if they have that reaction and believe in the core values they will be long-term loyal employees as long as you don't violate any of these things you violate the core values they'll quit in droves but a lot of people write core values and then don't instantiate them in their companies so in my case they were how they were part of the promotion discussion. If you were to get promoted, your person putting you forward, whoever your your manager was, would have to tell me and show me concrete examples of you living the core values. You made decisions that helped make this true. Same thing with salary, same thing with stock option conversations, same thing with anything we had to do with growing the business, which is growing you, right? Well, if I did that. I have very long-term loyal employees and long-term employees are very good because you don't have to explain everything all the time, right? They already know how we do business and that sort of stuff. New employees are very good for putting fresh you know, thinking into them. So you got to balance those two things. But yeah, the core values are first. The vivid vision is really the 
thing people take very little time with. They just, a lot of entrepreneurs think because they know their vision so well and it's like just part of their being, they think you get it already. Well, how are you going to get it if I didn't explain it, right? And if I didn't explain it in less than 21 words, you know, you know, a lot of these visions are like pages. Nobody's going to read a page today. They don't even read headlines for God's sakes, you know. So you got to you got to tailor it. But, but that that process, core values, core purpose, vision, are really how you do that. And almost if you look uh, at a business and entrepreneurs, like that's your baby, and it's hard to get someone to care about your child because right. they don't understand what your child's like or what your what child cares about because they don't care right. as a parent the same way. So how are you able to get your employees to buy into that vision? Well, well that's that's the thing. So um, you as the leader of the entity have one opinion, but then your job is to get followers, somebody that buys into the vision. And, and frankly, um, that's not a, that's not a moment process. That's a time because many people have taken jobs and they like the vision, but then they get into the company and realize that company has nothing to do with that vision. That was a sales pitch by somebody. Well, when they come in and you can show them, okay, we're, we're going after these three contracts and say, I can tell them what this does and what this one does and what this one does. If all three of them actually match getting to the vision and I can actually connect the dots for them saying, okay, we're, we're going after this contract because we're going to put in a cluster supercomputer at Sandia National Labs. Sandia National Labs does particle dispersion models. Um, so. I want more expertise in that area. So right now we got 10 guys, I need 40. Okay, well this will give me 10 more. Okay, I'm gonna make my way toward it. So you can tell them why I'm bidding this job. And yes, because writing proposals while working is painful. You know, that's how you grow a business. You actually, you're doing at night and weekends, the gross stuff while you're doing the day-to-day -day stuff that pays the bills. And, but then I walk them through why, what piece of business I went after, why. And then when we get key hired, when you're going to invest in a senior person, you got to explain to them why. Why didn't they get the job? You know, everybody thinks they deserve the job. But you're bringing somebody in, well, because he worked in a company that did something we need to do in the next phase. Or, or if we get to that next phase, we're going to be a, a $200 million company and we're a $100 million company. Well, I need somebody that knows that scale and time and the, the problems that come with that. And then they, they generally, when you are open and talk to people, they're like not against, it. I mean, they wish they had the job too, but, but the reality is you move them into, and then I just brought in a mentor for them, a guy that's perfect for taking them to the next level. And then he moves up, they move up, everybody's happy. But to get people to buy in is it's not a, a single process. It's, it takes a lot of things, but you gotta, you gotta like think about them and make them part of the way you manage a business. Because you know, if your people aren't bought in, you get 80% out of them. You need 140 <laughs> uh, to grow an entrepreneurial business. You got to work more than eight, you know eight hours a day. So, in uh, that growth phase, that's 12 hours, but but you don't mind any of the extra hours. It's because it's it's joy, you know, because you're getting results and you're just excited about it. So, but you want your whole team to be there. So, um, I want to talk about the Keenan Center. So, for everyone mm -hmm. listening, um. Tim Keenan um, and her family, Kathleen, has funded the Keenan um, Center for Entrepreneurship both at Ohio State University but also at Lemoyne College. And um, I want you to go through real quick um, that decision behind creating that donation. What's what's the vision behind it and what do you hope to accomplish? Obviously, that's more of a, a long-term yeah. donation. It's not just all in the next couple oh. of years. You're looking for the sizable future. So can you go through that real quick? 
Sure. So um, obviously, having made my living in the entrepreneurial world and started a number of businesses, um, I want uh, students to get a head start on that process, which is uh, bringing in people like myself and, and other entrepreneurs so that they can talk to them because they all have a different perspective. Every business was different. But when we started the centers, it was to create a spot on campus because every student that comes to a, a college or university does a little survey when they're a freshman. Why did you pick Ohio State? That's for the Ohio State's marketing or whatever college you went to. It's for their marketing to attract next year's class. And invariably, they come back with the same three, top three answers. Number one is a social environment. They want to have this new world open up to them from wherever they came from, right? Okay, great. In my perspective, that's, uh, that's beer, and I can't compete with beer, right? We'll leave that one alone. Number two is always an entrepreneurial experience. That, that's like tested over time for 25 years. Students want this. They've watched a whole generation of their parents get let go from businesses and hired back and let go and hired back. And economies go up and down, and they go through this cycle while just trying to put food on the table in the house over their head, right? So um, these kids have seen this. You add COVID to the mix, and you have um, the, one, the willingness to take the risk to start your own business has grown exponentially with this because I think the experience of having to stay isolated has opened up people's willingness to, to do things. So that's all there. But I think when you start the business uh, center here for Ohio State, and the Keenan centers are in both New York and here in Ohio. Uh, but if you take Ohio and Pennsylvania and New York and go the other way to Indiana, Illinois, all the way to Nevada, those states happen to be the, the, the middle of the country, a swath across the middle of the country, that all of them, their GDPs, those state GDPs are in that teens, they're in the 17, 18, 19 kind of area. And when we're on good times, that's where they live. And that's a good state economy, basically, very balanced. Then when we have a recession, these same states drop into the 40s. Very hard times for the state. Very, very hard times. And when you consider that it takes seven years to recover from a recession, and we have a recession every 10 years, that means we get three good years out of every 10 in the state. Well, that's not a quality of life thing, right? I first became aware of this in, in Ohio because I was doing some work for the, for the governor when, when Governor Kasich was here and trying to tell him how we could fix this how we could change that. And uh, I talked to a number of entrepreneurs and people who run centers and such. And if you take a 10% employment swath of entrepreneurs and put them in a, in a state where there isn't that swath, all of a sudden, instead of dropping from 17 to 41, we go from 17 to 21, a very small margin. So recovery doesn't take seven years. It only takes two. Well, okay, that's, that's more balanced, and that's a better quality of life for the citizens of Ohio. But it's the same in New York. It's the same in Indiana. It's the same in Illinois. So we are looking to put centers in each of these places and then link them. So we just recently had a, a relationship with Lemoyne. We brought Ohio State students there, and we brought Lemoyne students to Ohio. And they, they found that they were instantly working together. There wasn't a, 
I thought there would be a time where they stood on different sides of the room and looked at each other. It was almost instant connection, and I thought that was wonderful. And now we want to make sure that that continues, you know, that then instantiates. But then what you have is, okay, I got twice the number of brains thinking about a problem. I got twice the number of kids thinking, oh, I could partner with this guy because he has an interest in automotive research, and I have an interest in automotive research. And, you know, we can use the resources of Ohio State and help New York kids. New York kids can help Ohio State kids. It's all, that's what we, our vision was, is to build that, that uh, swath across the country. And I'm uh, very happy to be part of that group that is collaborating with Lemoyne. Yeah. And um, at our first kind of collaboration, there were plenty of amazing ideas flying and um, lots of ideas for not only, like you said, the two states benefiting, yeah. but how can we make it so that all the yeah. states in between, in between Ohio yeah. and New York can benefit from yeah. this type of collaboration. Um, and we are truly excited about um, those yeah. possibilities and excited so um, with the, the funding and amazing resources that have been provided and are exponentially being added to both universities. Right. Well, I'm very excited about those two visits, and now we need to make sure they just weren't, you know, isolated events. We need to keep them continue every year. Of course. So uh, the last two questions I have, Tim, are questions I ask every single guest that I interview. Uh, the first one being, um, what are two to three books that have had a large impact um, on your life personally? Well, I mentioned them earlier, but uh, Good to Great and Built to Last were Jim Collins' books. Um, I just like where he thinks, you know, one of his tenets is uh, get the right people on the bus. And everybody forgets the second half of that phrase is that get them in the right seats. Um, I thoroughly believe in that. And your team is what will make your business successful. And, and he, he does uh, does a good job of explaining the why. Because a lot of people think their idea or their technology, their financing are more important than your team's the most important thing. So I really like that. Uh, Marcus Buckingham is a leadership writer who uh, who built uh, with another guy named Tom Rath built a thing called Strength Finders and Strength Finders I actually executed that it, it's it's you know everybody's familiar with Myers Briggs personality test well you, then you get to be one of four letters you know in some combination well the world's a lot more complicated than four letters so and I found that to be not indicative of people where they come up with these traits that you have that are strong traits. It doesn't mean you don't have other things, but if, if you come up with these five traits that are you, and I can do that across my entire workforce, and I did execute this test across my entire workforce, uh, gave me insight into why some teams that I knew about weren't functioning properly and why some teams were just hitting it out of the park because they were all quality people. They just, some of, I had a team that ended up being uh, they had zero skills in communication or collaboration. Win put, now he has it called woo, it's win others over. Well, they had none of those skills. They were all highly analytical people. They were pretty much mirrors of themselves. Well, that makes a terrible team, actually. So um, it was very useful insight. It wasn't like the only tool, but it was a great tool for understanding a diverse workforce. So I, I found that to be invaluable in my time. Awesome. Then the last question we have for you today is, if you can go back and give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, I won't give you the, uh, the personal part, but <laughs> um, I was a um, uh, rough and tumble kid and got in a lot of trouble, but uh, that's hence the Marine Corps. Uh, I would go back and say, uh, uh, there were individuals that were in my life that I rejected because they were disciplinarian and they were actually, they would have accelerated my growth by about 10 years if I'd listened to them when I was a teenager. But uh, 
you know, when you're a teenager, you actually think you know more than you know. Um, you learn much later that those, at those moments. But, you know, I, I, I would have told myself to maybe listen to others a little better. Awesome. Well, this is the first installment of many interviews to come from um, sizable contributors to Ohio State and other Good. universities. And we're trying to be able to shine the light on those people that have had a large impact Good. on the specific community. So um, that's it for today's episode of the Five and Hustle podcast. I appreciate you coming on, Tim. Sure. Um, no I'm problem. sure the audience got a lot of value out of what you shared today. No problem. As always, guys, peace.